and now introduce our guest of honor. The last few years have been challenging times for financial markets all over the world. It's been clear just how much impact our worldwide connections and dependencies can have and how quickly a crisis that originates in one part of the world can spread to impact the entire globe. Yet, despite its share of setbacks recently, Hong Kong's prospects for the future continue to be bright. It has been and continues to be the gateway to Asia-Pacific. Millions of Canadians travel to Hong Kong and China every year. In 1997, it had the world's eighth largest stock market. Today, it's the sixth. And Hong Kong has ranked first a total of 13 times in the U.S.-based Heritage Foundation's listing of the world's freest economies. Yet, in this volatile economy, there's some uncertainty in the rule of law, particularly when it comes to business. As the Secretary for Justice for the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region, Government of China, our guest today has a huge responsibility. As the region's top legal expert, Mr. Wong's lead leads a staff of point people who manage much of the business logistics of this unique island marketplace. Prior to his appointment in 2005, Mr. Wong was a barrister in private practice. He was appointed as special counsel in Hong Kong in 2002 and sat as deputy high court judge of the court of first instance in July and August 2003. Mr. Wong was also a council member of the Hong Kong Bar Association on multiple terms between 1989 in 2005, and was elected as a Master of the Bench of Middle Temple of the United Kingdom in 2007. We are pleased to have such a distinguished guest joining us today. His vision will guide not just the future of economic activities between Canada and Hong Kong, but also the long-term relationship between our many Canadian citizens and those in Hong Kong and their families and friends. Please help me welcome Mr. Wong Yang Lang. Thank you, John, for your kind words of introduction. Uh, Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, may I first of all thank the Canadian Club of Toronto and the Hong Kong Canada Business Association for organizing this luncheon and giving me the opportunity for me to tell you more about the legal side of things in Hong Kong and how they may be relevant to you. It was in the late 1980s when I first visited Toronto. I was a junior member of a legal team taking evidence from a witness who refused to return to Hong Kong in a criminal case. (laughs) It was January. It's really cold. Nothing like this. (laughs) Since then, I have had the um, opportunity of doing another similar job assignment, but this time going to Vancouver, again taking evidence from another reluctant witness from Hong Kong. My own experience in private practice demonstrates how closely Canada and Hong Kong are connected. But of course, our close links and partnership extend far beyond bringing criminals to justice. Toronto alone is home to half a million strong Chinese community, and the majority of them have strong ties with Hong Kong. And you may not know that more than 250,000 Canadian citizens are living and working in Hong Kong making very significant contribution to our economy. Hong Kong is home to the largest Canadian business community in Asia, with over 150 Canadian companies in Hong Kong, and the Canadian Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, with more than 1,000 members, is the largest outside Canada. 
But our relationship extends well beyond trade and investment to other spheres like culture, education, and many more. And the establishment of the campus of the Richard Ivey School of Business in Hong Kong and the large collection of Hong Kong studies in the Richard Charles Lee Canada Hong Kong Library in the University of Toronto bear witness to the close linkage between us. Now, we have a lot in common. We share the common law heritage, the same commitment to promote a fair and just community, and face challenges arising from one country with different legal systems. Although uh, this morning when I was at the Ontario Bar Association, I was told that uh, um, yours with Quebec is, is based upon a 19th century uh, scenario, but ours in Hong Kong, one country, two systems, is based on a 20th century scenario. So there's a lot to, to discuss. Another common goal is how to strengthen our economy in the wake of the financial turmoil when the forces of globalization have undergone some pretty fundamental changes, highlighting the importance of mainland China as one of the key engines of global economic growth, as well as a stabilizing force in turbulent times. As we know, we just celebrated the 60th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China last week. And in his speech, President Hu Jintao reiterated China's policy to uphold one country, two systems, and to maintain the long-term prosperity of Hong Kong. Now, indeed, the rapid growth of the mainland's economy and its huge market potential, as well as its support of our systems, have created valuable opportunities for Hong Kong. But Hong Kong's strength lies not only in being part of mainland China, um, in China's rapid reforms and rise, Hong Kong has an irreplaceable role to play in the process. With our very deep pool of local and overseas talents and vast international network together with uh, the healthy supply of capital and more importantly, the robust legal system and excellent trading financial as well as professional services, not only does Hong Kong provide a platform for China's integration with the rest of the world, it also serves as a model for the mainland to implement important reforms. Now, despite the um, challenging economic climate and keen competition from other Asian countries, we are on track to exceed our target of 250 new investment projects this year. Uh, in its 2008 report, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development placed Hong Kong top of its FDI performance index. Currently, some 6,600 overseas, mainland, and Taiwanese-owned companies have operations in Hong Kong. Among them, close to 4,000 serve as regional headquarters or regional offices. It is, in fact, an all-time high figure, over and above that uh, before 1997. And foreign investors continue to give us the vote of confidence. <coughs> the vote of confidence <coughs> pardon me, is, of course, based on many factors, on um, certain business advantages 
I'm sure many of you will be able to uh, share with, with uh, the rest of the audience more. Um, today, allow me to share with you how Hong Kong's robust legal system and our international links have enhanced our strength as a strategic springboard to mainland China and Asia-Pacific. As many of you know, since the establishment of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region in 1997, a new constitutional order enshrined in the basic law was put in place. Under the principle of one country, two systems, Hong Kong is part of the People's Republic of China, and yet we practice an entirely different system of law from the mainland and enjoy a high degree of autonomy. In the past 12 years, although we have encountered controversies in the implementation of the new constitutional order, uh, litigations over the application of specific provisions of the basic law, as well as global economic turmoil, the rule of law and one country, two systems are working very well indeed in Hong Kong, as is confirmed by the reports prepared by independent outside observers, including many international rating agencies, as well as the governments of the US, UK, and also EU. Common law is not only preserved, it is actually enriched by the basic law. Since 1997, we have further moved on from the predominantly English basis to attain a more international jurisprudential repertoire, with Canada being one of our contributors. As guaranteed by the basic law, uh, precedents, precedents from other common law jurisdictions can be referred to in our courts. The Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal <clears throat> is of international acclaim and must much trusted by the people of Hong Kong as well as the international business community. Uh, the judgments delivered by this court are of high jurisprudential value, not just in Hong Kong. They have been cited in the Supreme Court of Canada, House of Lords in the UK, as well as the Federal Court of Australia. Judicial independence is guaranteed under our Constitution and is one of the pillars of Hong Kong's success. Protection of fundamental human rights and freedoms is guaranteed on a constitutional level. There are 19 articles in the basic law guaranteeing fundamental human rights and freedoms, and major international covenants such as the ICCPR are applicable in Hong Kong. You have to forgive me, as you can notice, I'm losing my voice because of jet lag. Judicial reviews, based on uh, the rights provided in the, in the basic law, have mushroomed in the past 12 years. Our courts have upheld some and dismissed others. It demonstrates very vividly the effectiveness of the basic law in protecting the rights as well as the integrity of our courts, in particular the Court of Final Appeal in adjudicating over very difficult cases of constitutional significance. And the legal profession in Hong Kong remain very strong and independent. And there are now 6,400 solicitors and 1,100 barristers practicing in Hong Kong. And on top of that, we have over 1,100 registered foreign lawyers 
from 27 jurisdictions, including mainland China. Indeed, mainland China is a different jurisdiction from Hong Kong, uh, practicing foreign law in Hong Kong. The profession provides a wide spectrum of expertise to a variety of private and corporate clientele. Now, for foreign lawyers working in Hong Kong, many specialize in intellectual property law. To provide a favorable environment for international investment, Hong Kong has endeavored to put in place a robust intellectual property, uh, intellectual property protection regime. Our IPR legal framework complies fully with the requirements of the WTO Agreement on Trade-Related Aspects on Intellectual Property Rights. We have comprehensive legislation protecting copyright, patents, trademarks, and registered designs, and is kept under review to ensure it remains relevant and appropriate. For instance, to meet the challenges uh, posed by the advances in technology, we are about to present to our legislature proposals for strengthening copyright protection in the digital environment. And persistent, rigorous enforcement is also very important. Hong Kong Customs has one of the uh, strongest teams in the region. Their sustained enforcement action has effectively suppressed counterfeiting and piracy activities. Uh, They have also been building up uh, its capacity to combat new modes of infringement that may emerge in the digital age. Our recent success in nailing down an international piracy syndicate using high-speed internet servers, generally called top site, to distribute copyright infringing items bear testimony to our commitment to protecting the legitimate interests of creative industries both locally and overseas. And in recognition of Hong Kong's achievements in protecting intellectual property, the Business Software Alliance, a major organization representing the interests of software companies worldwide, presented us with Government Best Practices Asia-Pacific Award in September 2008, making Hong Kong the first economy in the region to receive the award. There's, of course, no room for complacency. Counterfeiting and piracy problem is a global issue that calls for international cooperation. We look forward to strengthening cooperation and exchanges with our Canadian counterparts and other trading partners in this regard. Another important strength of Hong Kong, which is closely connected with our legal system, is, of course, our zero tolerance on corruption. Thanks to the work of the Independent Commission Against Corruption, the ICAC, and to the support of Hong Kong people, our city is free of any systemic and syndicated corruption. As an anti-corruption agency, the ICAC has become a model for many other such organizations. In this modern world, as you know, where crime has become a global phenomenon and where corruption now crosses national borders, forming partnership with international community has become essential for every law enforcement agency. Ladies and gentlemen, Hong Kong's success lies in our being the most international city in China run on a separate legal system. It is important for us to continue to strengthen our international links in order to secure our leading position as a global financial and business center. Under the basic law, 
The central government is responsible for defense and foreign affairs. But provision is made for Hong Kong to participate in many worldwide activities, even in its own right, and with the specific authorization um, of the Central People's Government or as a member of the Chinese delegation. Thus, at last year's Olympics in Beijing, athletes of Hong Kong, China, participated separately from China in both the Olympics and the Paralympics. That separate participation exemplified Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy, while Hong Kong's status as part of China was reflected in Hong Kong hosting the equestrian events. Oh, by the way, if you don't know yet, in less than two months' time, Hong Kong will be hosting another major sports event, the Ace Asian Games. It will be the biggest in the history of the Games, with close to 3,000 athletes from nine East Asian countries and regions competing. The basic law also provides for Hong Kong to maintain and develop relations and to conclude and implement agreements with foreign states and regions and relevant international organizations in the economic, trade, financial, monetary, shipping, communications, tourism, and cultural fields. It is on that basis that Hong Kong is, for example, a separate customs territory and a separate member of the World Trade Organization and an associate member of the International Maritime Organization. Hong Kong has its own economic and monetary policy and its own tax regime and is a free port, so mainland customs duties and tariffs do not apply in Hong Kong. Since 1997, Hong Kong has negotiated and concluded some 160 bilateral agreements with foreign governments on areas such as air services, reciprocal juridical assistance and extradition. Canada is one of the first few jurisdictions that signed a surrender of fugitive offenders agreement with us. Hong Kong and Canada have also entered into agreements on air services and mutual legal assistance in uh, criminal matters. Apart from the uh, bilateral agreements, over 220 multilateral treaties continue to apply to Hong Kong. They cover a vast spectrum of subjects such as merchant shipping, human rights protection, intellectual property rights, and private international law. Almost 80 of these agreements do not apply to mainland China. Uh, nonetheless, the Chinese um, central government accepts responsibility as a state party for the implementation of all such city uh, treaties in Hong Kong. In recent years, particularly in the post-9-11 era, Hong Kong has been active in international collaboration with other countries against terrorism, money laundering, corruption, as well as other transnational crimes. In particular, Hong Kong has been an active member in the Financial Action Task Force, which is the leading international organization specializing in anti-money laundering efforts. The basic law also provides that representatives of the Hong Kong government may participate as members of the China delegation in organizations which are limited to states. My department, the Department of Justice, has been particularly active as members of the Chinese delegation in the deliberations of the Hague Conference on Private International Law, which provides a platform for international cooperation on commercial and family law matters. 
Hong Kong has also participated as part of the Chinese delegation at the G20 meetings to examine measures for building a sustainable recovery and to devise microfinancial response to the financial crisis. And riding on the strengths and advantages that we possess, we see the potential um, of developing Hong Kong into a leading international dispute resolution center, in particular a hub of international arbitrations. The Hong Kong International Arbitration Center, our own homegrown arbitration body, handled over 600 international arbitration cases last year, which puts us in terms of caseload number two in Asia. The center is also rapidly expanding into a forum for the resolution of new areas of international disputes, such as those over domain names. As large international arbitration cases involving Chinese parties are on the rise, some international arbitration bodies are already moving east into Asia-Pacific region. For example, the International Court of Arbitration, the ICA, of the International Chamber of Commerce, ICC, which is based in Paris, uh, has opened its first ever branch of secretariat in Hong Kong. The secretariat is serving the Asia-Pacific region and responsible for supervising the ICC arbitrations in Hong Kong. This is a significant move by an international arbitration institution of high repute and a show of confidence in Hong Kong in Hong Kong's position as a center of dispute resolution. And more recently, relationship across the Taiwan Strait is warming up rapidly. Apart from serving the, uh, servicing the trade and econo- economy of the mainland and China, and, and Taiwan, sorry, Hong Kong has huge potential to position itself as a neutral venue to handle commercial disputes, uh, arbitration between parties from mainland and Taiwan. We are actively reforming our arbitration law to align our domestic arbitration regime with that governing international arbitration under the Uncentral Model Law. And under that law, the court should only intervene into an arbitration to support rather than to interfere uh, with the arbitration. We are confident that with these changes, we will further enhance the environment for conducting international arbitration in Hong Kong. I would also like to highlight that Hong Kong's arbitral awards are not only enforceable in more than 130 contracting states to the 1958 New York Convention, but also in mainland China by virtue of a separate arrangement signed by my department and the Supreme People's Court back in 1999 to facilitate reciprocal enforcement of arbitral awards. Hong Kong is located within four hours' access by air to almost all the major Asian cities and is part of the fastest-growing economy in the world. We are in the heart of Asia, which makes us the natural hub for doing business in Asia, and in the heart also of the Pearl River Delta, the most dynamic economic region in China. In January this year, the central government in Beijing set out a framework to establish the Pearl River Delta as one of the world's most competitive regions by the year 2020. Under the framework, um, the Guangdong province 
and the special administrative regions of Hong Kong and Macau will use our combined strengths to become a premier hub for business and finance. We will boost our connectivity with the mainland further by speeding up cross-boundary infrastructure projects to enhance global access to mainland markets through Hong Kong. These include the guangzhou Samzhen hong Kong Express Railway Link that will connect Hong Kong to our nation's high-speed rail network. And in 2010, we will commence the construction of a 29-kilometre bridge connecting Hong Kong uh, with the special administrative region of Macau and the city of Zhuhai in the Pearl River Delta region. We are also planning another boundary crossing point, and we are looking at a joint development along our boundary with Samzhen, with a focus on research and development, creative industries, and education uses. On financial services, in 2004, we launched the renminbi banking services, and in 2007, we became the only place outside the mainland to offer renminbi-denominated bonds, uh, in particular the sovereign bonds. Another exciting initiative which has been put in place since July is a pilot scheme to settle cross-boundary trade using renminbi. Now, this is a good opportunity to enhance our role as an offshore center for renminbi. Perhaps the biggest advantage for overseas firms is our unique free trade pact with the mainland, which we call the Closer Economic Partnership Arrangement, or SIPA in short. SIPA provides preferential access to mainland markets and sectors for Hong Kong registered companies, including foreign firms incorporated in Hong Kong. Now, under SIPA, all Hong Kong products enjoy zero import tariffs into the mainland, and service suppliers in 42 areas can receive preferential treatment in the form of lower barriers to entry for their services in the mainland. There is also increasing cooperation between the courts of Hong Kong and of mainland China regarding mutual recognition and enforcement of court judgments. In July 2007, a landmark agreement was signed between my department and the Supreme People's Court in the mainland to facilitate mutual enforcement of judgments in certain commercial disputes. Legislation implementing this arrangement has come into effect last August. We hope this will be the prototype of many others to come and will provide further incentive for international investors to make use of Hong Kong's legal services and judicial process. Two years ago, ladies and gentlemen, before the uh, financial crisis set in, we heard of the term Lai Non Kong, equating New York, London, and Hong Kong as the three leading financial centers of the world. Many economists debated whether it was New York or London, uh, who should be number one. However, today, a new term has been coined, I wonder if anyone has heard of it, called Shang Kong, meaning Shanghai and Hong Kong. And the debate became whether Shanghai will one day take over from Hong Kong as the international financial center of China. However, I hope I have offered you some explanation as to why many 
are still putting their vote in Hong Kong. The uniqueness in being a separate system within China, the determination of the mainland authorities uh, to make us successful, our robust legal system, our strong respect for the rule of law, our corruption-free society, our international links, and a deep pool of talents are clear advantages. Furthermore, looking beyond China, Hong Kong's position as a financial center in Asia-Pacific region is also irreplaceable. Last year, the Asian Development Bank gave a positive outlook for Asia in its Strategy 2020 report. The report predicts that the Asia-Pacific region will account for some 45% of the global GDP by the year 2020 in terms of purchasing power parity. It also forecasts the region to contribute about a third of the world trade by the year 2020. Well, I will leave you to debate whether um, that is a fair prediction and to plan your next business move. And on that note, I think I've been speaking too long, stretching my voice and burdening you with this. Ladies and gentlemen, may I wish you happiness, good health, and good spirit in the years to come. Thank you very much. I think I just more or less got my voice back to answer questions. So uh, you're very welcome to raise any questions. I will try my best to answer them. Yes, please. Uh, Secretary Wong, I'm Richard Ling from the law firm of Gordon Benedict. I would like to, first of all, thank um, Director Seal for inviting some of my fellow practitioners here. I just want to take the liberty to introduce some of them. Sammy Lee, KBA, Alexandra Ahn, Newton Wong, and a few of us that are practicing away from Hong Kong and Toronto. If I miss your name, please stand up here. <coughs> I guess not. So I just, on behalf of everybody, we want to welcome you to Toronto. Thank you. And a lot of people ask me, well, why are you practicing law in Canada? My answer is very simple, because my grades were not high enough to enter Queen's College, <laughs> like you. And then uh, to be able to uh, be selected to uh, enter Hong Kong University, not like my friend uh, Sammy here. So anyway, so uh, kudos to you. Uh, you know, you're truly a success story, uh, you know, for uh, people in Hong Kong, where, you know, opportunities are equal for everybody. And also, my partners were asking and said, well, look, uh, you know, we found out that you make a lot of money as the Secretary of Justice. And well, make a lot of money. What it reminded them is, uh, I said, the Secretary won't probably make that much in a month when he was in uh, private practice. So he's making a heck of a lot of uh, personal sacrifices to serve the good people of Hong Kong. And you know, with your kind of, uh, with your track record and what have you, I think the people of, me, of Hong Kong really owe you a great, you know, their gratitude. So, well, here comes my question. <laughs> The question is, uh, uh, since the uh, Lehman Brothers uh, uh, fiasco, uh, because the chairman was speaking about the financial challenges facing the world, one thing that is somewhat perplexing to us, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, legal practitioners in North America, 
is that there seems to be a strong encouragement, say, by government of Hong Kong to oblige the issuing, not the issuing agents, but rather the distributing agents of Lehman Securities, the ABCPs, the asset-backed commercial papers, to pay back the investors almost in full. In equity, there's something not quite kosher, in our view, because in, uh, in a Western society, uh, somewhere along the line, you know, there is, you know, kind of especially in investments, there is a certain amount of caveat emptor, meaning that if you are sufficiently uh, rich to invest millions of dollars, it is somewhat less than equitable to then declare that I know nothing about what I bought. And by the way, the distributing agents, let's call it spade a spade, they make maybe six to eight percent of commission to be a hundred percent liable for the total liabilities. There's something not quite equitable. And let me ask, you know, kind of the, the I'm not speaking for any banks as much as to say, well, look, there is also this whole element of government intervention in a free market. Because under normal circumstances, you know, what people would expect is that the, the people who are, you know, kind of the, the what do you call the bondholders, would sue the, uh, the, uh, the bank director instead of having bank intervention. So I guess I've been told to go on, so that's my question. Thank you very much indeed. Um, well, I think, um, you, you, I think the, the core of your question is really arising from the Lehman uh, product. Uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with this, uh, the, this is a Lehman mini bond, uh, which uh, was uh, a product um, which was sold, I understand, only in Hong Kong and Singapore. And is, as of course, a very uh, rather more complicated uh, sort of a financial product. Um, I think the, I appreciate your concern about caveat emptor, and a lot of people raise their eyebrows that uh, after the um, collapse of the Lehman Brothers and then these investors uh, pursue the banks and the government and, and try to have their money back uh, to sort of uh, revert to the position. Um, and, um, and, and in fact, there was a, a settlement um, um, involving the banks uh, with these investors, uh, and these investors were in fact paid back uh, for as much uh, as up to about 70% of the original investment. Um, now, I think the position there is that uh, the product itself is not any other ordinary product. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, allegations, there are a lot of allegations about possible um, malpractice in the marketing of this product. And there were stories about these elderly uh, people going into the banks just across the counter, and it's being represented to them that this is very secure, like deposit and so on. Now, of course, all these need to be investigated. I just want to uh, give you the favor. It's not just an experienced investor buying the product uh, simpliciter. So the matter was investigated by the regulatory body in Hong Kong, Security Futures Commission, as well as the Monetary Authority in Hong Kong. Uh, so a lot was going on. And eventually there was a settlement uh, 
uh, with the regulatory body and uh, the banks as well as the investors um, um, paying back about 70%. Um, but I understand that there was a clear distinction drawn between those who are inexperienced investors uh, as opposed to experienced investors. How do you actually draw the line might be difficult, but they are not unaware of the, um, the matters of principle involved in this exercise. I suppose the long and short of it is that we have learned a few lessons from this uh, in terms of uh, the, the marketing of these products and also whether we can improve the regulatory regime in Hong Kong in relation to these matters without over-regulating it. And then we are still working hard at this at the moment. Yeah. We have time for one more question. Yes. Um, I, have, I have one very, very short question. <laughs> Uh, Singapore also has a, an international arbitration center there yes. that is fairly recent. What impact, if any, do you see on that center impacting on the arbitrations happening in Hong Kong? Is there, going, is there a competition or is it something completely different? We are, of course, um, in very healthy competition situation. <laughs> and Singapore, of course, they are also very, very uh, proactive in terms of uh, uh, strengthening their capacity for international arbitration. In fact, as you know, international arbitration is, uh, it, it is something that a lot of people are pursuing, including the uh, arbitration bodies within mainland China itself. So it's highly competitive. But I think um, um, we, we, we have a good competitor, so we know that we have to work very hard on it. But I think Hong Kong uh, has, if I may say so, an advantage because of the um, huge potential of the mainland Chinese market. And to be honest with you, the reason why uh, we managed to persuade ICC to come to Hong Kong, to set up the secretariat branch in Hong Kong, as opposed to Singapore, if I may say so, is because I was very much in the middle of this in terms of doing the salesmanship. And um, uh, to, to really impress upon them the long-term development for any international arbitration bodies to move to the east, that to have the mainland China as the, the, the consideration. And uh, with Hong Kong, the uniqueness of Hong Kong to provide that uh, springboard, as I tried to outline earlier, and uh, they, they certainly they are convinced. And uh, they have been in Hong Kong for one year already, and they are doing very well, and then confirming that, uh, that, that they have made the right choice. And we hope that uh, uh, we will not be complacent, of course, but continue to ride on the strings that we have to enhance that uh, portfolio of ours. Thank you. And now I'd like to call on Mr. Peter Lawler, first vice president, Hong Kong, Canada Business Association, and senior vice president, Ontario, Business Development Bank of Canada, say a few words. Good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Secretary Wong, when you first started your speech, you said one of your first trips to Canada was you had some reluctant witnesses, I, I guess, that, uh, that you had to interview. And certainly, I think, uh, from the reception you have here today, there was certainly no reluctance on part of anybody here to be here today to listen uh, to your speech. On behalf of the Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office, Hong Kong Canada Business Association, Hong Kong Trade Development Council, and the Canadian Club of Toronto, I want to thank Secretary for Justice Wong for his enlightening talk here this afternoon. 
Hong Kong's legal system is a key component in building a strong and vibrant society. Your discussion today makes it easier for everyone to understand Hong Kong's legal system provides an environment that is open, transparent, and attractive for companies to locate and engage in commerce, using Hong Kong as the platform to take advantage of the increasing importance of Asia as an economic giant. On this point, Hong Kong provides Canadian businesses comfort with a strong rule of law and strategic positioning as an important gateway to China. We enjoyed your discussion very much, and on behalf of all of us here today, hope that you have a productive and enjoyable trip in Canada. I didn't think you're leaving tomorrow. Uh, there's certainly a very strong historic bond, and it came up a couple of times today, between Hong Kong and Canada. And I think certainly events like this really demonstrate, I think, to all of us that that bond really exists. And, and you coming here today only strengthens that, uh, that bond. So thank you very much again, Secretary Wong, for being with us here today. Enjoy the rest of your, your visit to Canada and safe travels back to beautiful Hong Kong. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter, and thank you again, Mr. Wong, and thank you, our guests, for joining us today. And just before I conclude, I want to introduce two hardworking politicians who are with us today. Uh, Councillor Norm Kelly from Ward 40, Scarborough Agent Court is here, who does a lot of work in the community. Mr. Uh, Kelly. And uh, in City of Vaughan, uh, Councillor uh, Sandra Young-Racco, who is here as well, who is uh, quite active as well. Thank you. This, uh, this concludes our television programming, which will, is li broadcast live uh, thanks to Rogers and will be on uh, TV for days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of our Canadian Club events. This meeting is now adjourned. Thank you all very much.